This episode is sponsored by Shop Like You Give a Damn, a platform for ethical shopping for those who give a damn. ShopLikeYouGiveADamn.com is the EU's largest 100% vegan online department store for fair and sustainable fashion, cosmetics, and home essentials. Founders Alex, Kim, and Stefan are on a mission to make compassion and sustainability the new normal. That's why they founded this fully vegan, fair, and sustainable marketplace with a heart for inclusivity and social entrepreneurship. On their platform, you will find over 18,000 items from around 400 ethical brands, each carefully curated following their five main values. Vegan, fair, sustainable, inclusive, and social. They give a damn about Mama Earth and all of her inhabitants and encourage you to do the same. Use their criteria, certifications, and material options to filter on the values that matter to you the most. Their message is shop with compassion. Do not buy more than you need and always choose vegan, fair, and as sustainable as possible. Check out the ranges now at shoplikeyougiveadam.com. Hi Rebels, welcome to a new episode of Catwalk Rebel, the podcast where fashion meets compassion. I'm Sasha Camilli, a former fashion industry professional turned vegan fashion expert. I rebelled against fashion convention to stand up for what I believe in, and in this podcast I will share stories, tips and thoughts on how to find your style and live a joyful, glamorous life the conscious way. Now if we want to dress more ethically, and if you're listening to this then I imagine that you do, then vegan fashion is just one piece of the puzzle. Choosing not to wear animals is what got me into ethical fashion, and once I went vegan and started reading more and learning more about ethical fashion, I found out so much about different aspects of what ethics in fashion really means. I realized that different aspects of dressing ethically, such as human rights, workers' rights, environmental sustainability, and animals, they're all equally important. And you really cannot have one without the other if we want a system that's fair and just for all. Someone who knows all about this is Emma Hawkinson, a former model turned fashion activist. Emma's journey has taken her from the modeling industry to launching organization Collective Fashion Justice, which deals with a system of total ethics fashion. And that is exactly what I will be talking to Emma about today. We will really be delving into the topic of total ethics fashion and learning more about what that really means. We'll also talk about her short film Willow and Claude, which explores the knitwear industry, and her new book, How Veganism Can Save Us, among other things. So let's get into the interview with Emma. Hi, Emma. Welcome to Catwalk Rebel. So great to have you Thank here. Thank you for having me. I'm such a huge fan of your work. I've been following uh, what you do for such a long time. So yeah, when I was planning guests for this podcast, you were an obvious, obvious choice. And yeah, listeners don't know this, but we're like on completely (laughs) different sides of the planet. It's 10.30 p.m. my time here in the UK. What time is it where you are? It's 8.30 in the morning for me. And you're in Australia, is that correct? Yes. 
So, yeah, it's amazing that technology actually allows us to come together even if we're apart. Yes, and I've loved your work um, yes, for a, a while too. So, yeah, it's nice to connect. Really great. Thank you so, so much. Um, yeah, so let's get started. I'm really curious about how you got into the fashion industry with modeling. And, yeah, how did you get started on that path? I first got into fashion quite a while ago now and not with any kind of sense of ethics or sustainability at the time because I was just working as a model. I got signed as a model when I was like 14 years old, so really young. Um, and by the time I became vegan, which was when I was 16, I had been you know, wearing fur coats, wearing leather, wearing wool and making money from it for a couple of years. So that was my entrance into fashion. And then as I learned more about the ethical side of things, I realized that my job was not at all aligned with these things that I was realizing I actually really cared about, like animal rights, but also fair labor, sustainability, all those kinds of things. So I then moved into launching a creative agency called Willow Creative Co., which was about working with photographers and stylists and creatives that cared about making a better fashion industry and producing beautiful photo content for brands that were doing the right thing so that they could compete with those that weren't. Um, and then from there, I kind of eventually realized I wanted to be more in an advocacy space. So everything sort of moved on in time. And then eventually I ended up founding Collective Fashion Justice, which is what I do now. That is such a journey. I can really relate to what you were saying there. When I was a fashion writer mm. a few years ago, I sort of started transitioning to a vegan lifestyle uh, during my time in the fashion industry. And I really felt that my career was at, at odds with my yeah. ethics, that I was sitting there basically promoting all of these um, leather and exotic skins and fur garments and accessories mm -hmm. and I tried to like separate the two and tell myself that this is just my job it's not who I am but our job is is a big part of who we are so it felt completely wrong to you know have this double life mm -hmm. yeah no I think there are so many stories like that in the fashion industry too even with designers that you know used to exclusively work with animal materials who then had personal epiphanies and went and started vegan brands, which I think is really nice. Yeah, it's really great to hear these stories. So what about your personal epiphany? How did you first come into contact with veganism and how did you, how did you go vegan, basically? What was your journey there? It's something that happened over time. I was first not eating any land-dwelling animals and then later I learned about the dairy industry, the egg industry, wool, all those kinds of more secondary products is, I guess, how we think of them. But the first part was when I was living in Sweden for a little while. Half of my family lives there. I'm half Swedish. And it's really normal there. I grew up in Sweden. I know. So nice. Little Swedes. Yeah. Um, yeah. But... Yeah, it's really normal there to eat moose, to eat deer. And so I was being fed that. And I felt like that was, it made me a little bit uncomfortable. And the more I thought about it, 
I realised that it's actually not reasonable for me to feel uncomfortable about eating a moose or a deer unless I was going to be consistent and I was going to be uncomfortable with eating animals like cows and sheep and pigs who, you know, I had been eating my whole life without really questioning it at all. So it was that kind of connection that made me decide that actually I didn't want to eat any animals or have animals be killed for my sake. Yeah, it's so interesting how some people just, you know, don't eat some animals for a while. I was pescatarian for a really long mm. time because I didn't, I believe that fish had a good life, which was just so far from the truth when you learn more about um, fish farming, but also the way fish are killed. And I remember some people in Sweden, actually, when I was really young, who wouldn't eat rabbits because they had rabbits at yeah. home as children. And my husband, when I met him, he wouldn't eat any baby animals such as lambs mm. or um, veal. And, you know, and then you learn that actually many animals that are slaughtered for meat are babies. Yeah, most and of all it, of them. It just, yeah, exactly. So it's, it's interesting how we start at one point and then you slowly realize that if I want to be consistent with these values, I actually cannot do any of these things that I'm doing um, yeah everyone's journey and that is is really different um, what about your creative agency did you find when you were starting it that there were quite a few people in the fashion industry that were thinking along the same lines that you were and wanted to get into more of an ethical line of, of, of work and a more mindful way of working Definitely not heaps and heaps of people, but I think that the more you kind of dig down into any topic, the more people you find. And so I definitely found designers that were starting new labels and kind of smaller brands that were looking to change the fashion industry. We worked with brands that even if they weren't 100% aligned, we would work on, you know, if they had particular products that were completely aligned with our values, we'd promote and help support those ones rather than the whole brand so there was a mix of different kinds of brands but I think since then the number of brands that are really looking to be protecting people animals and the planet has grown heaps which is a really nice thing to see it's really been an amazing development in the last few years um yeah I find myself repeating this in many interviews that I do but it's just there's just been such an amazing growth of um, awareness and consciousness in the fashion industry, which has been just incredible to see. But one area that I feel that this is sort of, um, we're not quite there yet, we need a bit more awareness, is the area of wool and knitwear. Yes. Um, and here's where you have done quite a bit of work. Could you tell us about uh, your short film, Willow and Claude? What was that about and how... How did it come about? What work did you do on it? Yeah, so Willow and Claude is named after two rescued lambs. I have been lucky enough to rescue and foster a few little lambs from the sheep, wool and meat industry over the last few years. And I had only ever really thought about the meat side of that industry when I first got involved in that. Um, but then when I was, you know, having these sweet little lambs who were orphaned because their mothers died or because they were completely alone, there's lots of issues in the winter lambing where 
the wool industry breeds sheep specifically into winter so that they can save on feed costs later in the year. It's a cost-based decision, but it means that every year in Australia alone, up to 15 million lambs die of starvation, neglect and hypothermia in the first 48 hours of their lives. So these lambs are rescued from that fate. Um, And when I was having them, you know, sitting on my lap and being really sweet and cuddly, and I was still wearing some of my old wool knitwear, I realised, oh, so what's actually going on in this industry? Because it is one that is so shrouded in mythology of, you know, it's just a happy haircut, it's not anything harmful, it can be cruelty-free, it can be natural. So the film looks at what is actually going on behind wool and then it looks for solutions because I think putting forward solutions, not just the issues, is really important. So it looks at, okay, if we're not going to make knitwear from wool, what are we going to make it from? It looks at why fossil fuel-derived fibres aren't the solution either, how there's some forced labour in some particular cotton supply chains, and then it follows a completely Australian, completely transparent and traceable supply chain from a cotton farm in Australia that works particularly sustainably and that grows both cotton and also chickpeas. So they have plant-based fibre and protein, which I think is nice. And then all the way through the fibre processing, the dyeing and the knitting, which is done in an ethical way as well. So the point of the film is kind of to be a proof of concept and to show to designers, like, if you want to have knitwear and you want to produce things that don't hurt animals, that are made fairly, that are made sustainably, it is completely possible. It takes a little bit more work, of course, but it's sort of the bare minimum that we should expect from the fashion industry. I think this sounds like such an amazing, amazing journey. And it's a project that's so much needed in the fashion landscape today. And it's so interesting that you did this in Australia, which is one of the biggest wool producing (laughs) countries in the world. So this is, yeah, this is just, uh, how was, um, how was this received? Like what feedback have you gotten from it? It's been received really well, actually. It's one, I can't keep up now, but it's won lots of film awards. It won the Good Design Awards, which is Australia's most kind of prestigious award for design. So it's been appreciated in lots of different spaces. And I think that the fashion industry has taken it on well because of that focus on solutions. You know, it's not a really negative film and those films are really important as well so people understand the issues. But I think it's been able to be seen as something encouraging and something that sparks innovation. It even now, which I think is really exciting, is shared on a platform that the Australian government and agricultural industries promote to students that are working in agricultural science. So it means that people in the countryside who you know, normally have always been told that wool production is not only really financially beneficial but really great all round that they're seeing a film that tells a different story. So I think that's kind of my favourite part of how it's been received, that it's been welcomed into that space. Oh, absolutely. That's huge. So would you say that there has been, or maybe it's happening now, a shift in mindsets in Australia when it comes to wool as well? Would you say that people are more open to hearing about the alternatives or is it still quite 
you know, rooted in the tradition of um, of the wool industry? Do you think there's any changes happening there? I think there's some change, but at the same time, it's nowhere near enough. And there's still a lot of faith in the history behind the wool industry and the belief that we need it in order to be a successful country. In reality, I think that the subsidies that the government pays towards the wool industry, if they were used to help transition those farmers into more sustainable and ethical farming systems, that would be the best thing that we could do, not only for animals on the planet, but for our communities. Um, But I think, yeah, the fashion industry, it's taking some time the Walmart company, which exists to promote the wool industry, they released this really just greenwashing and ethics washing advertisement recently. And I was really quite happy to see that on their advertisement, when it was shared on a few places on social media, so many people just weren't buying it and were asking them to talk about sheep and how they're being treated, were questioning and talking about the greenhouse gas emissions and biodiversity loss involved with wool production. So that was really positive, and I think people are learning. Yeah, I know which ad you're talking about, and it's yeah, that's really great to hear that people react to it. It's similar then to what we've seen with the fur industry mm-hmm. and all of um, the greenwashing um, campaigns that have come out of there and the way that it's it's just, I love seeing people's reactions to those, how people always see through that. And it's amazing to hear that that is also happening with wool. So there is There's hope. <laughs> perhaps a shift happening. There's hope, definitely. Um, yeah, so tell us about Collective Fashion Justice. How um, did, you, did the idea of, of that, um, yeah. how was your idea for that born? And what is Collective Fashion Justice? So... I was working for two different organisations before I founded my organisation. One was in the specifically the animal rights space and one was in a women's rights space. And I felt really passionately about both of those issues, but I also was passionate about the environment and all sorts of things. And I felt like when in that animal protection organisation I was working on some campaigns that were about fashion just because you know, there are so many organisations that focus on the food aspect of animal exploitation, which is really important, but there are so few campaigns comparatively that talk about fashion, despite so many animals being exploited and killed in that industry. So I was working on campaigns on wool and on leather, and I realised that there were two kind of limitations that I felt. The first was that coming from an animal rights organisation, the fashion industry didn't care what I had to say because it is very interested in aesthetics it only wants to listen to kind of those within its space and also because it was specifically an animal rights group I couldn't talk so much about the intertwined harms that I think are really important to address like when we talk about leather it's not just the fact that cows are mutilated commodified and ultimately slaughtered which is a huge part of it but it's also that Slaughterhouse workers often face perpetration-induced traumatic stress. Farm workers can sometimes be in forced labour. Tannery workers are more likely to have cancer because of all the chemicals that they're working on when they're tanning skins into leather. Those chemicals are bad for the planet. There's greenhouse gas emissions. There's deforestation. There's Indigenous land rights issues associated with that deforestation. There's biodiversity loss, water use, 
all of these things, I felt like it was really important to paint a wider picture. So Collective Fashion Justice is an organisation which exists to create what I call a total ethics fashion system. So it's one that prioritises all life, so animals, people and the planet, before profit. And we focus on animal-derived materials because this is where all three of those groups are really harmed. But we can talk about it more broadly and we also position ourselves as a part of the fashion industry. So we work on consumer citizen education, but we also consult with brands and are able to kind of exist in spaces that otherwise we might not be. And we also work on political lobbying for legislation that impacts all of those groups. So if you were to explain a system of total ethics fashion to someone who has no idea what you're talking about, what would you say? What is total ethics fashion to you? So total ethics fashion, I think it's just about looking at sustainability and ethics more holistically. I came up with the term in response to the fact that terms like sustainable fashion, fair fashion, slow fashion, vegan fashion, all of these terms have been kind of used to the point that they've sometimes become meaningless and they've been used in contexts where it doesn't necessarily make sense. So like a bag that's being labelled as ethical because there's fair labour behind it, but it's made of cow skin. And so that part is obviously not ethical. And the same is true of a bag that's made fairly and that's animal free, but it's using a material like PVC, which is not the best for the planet either. So total ethics is about being uncompromising in our willingness to protect the planet and all animals. And I say all animals because I think sometimes we forget that humans are animals and separating ourselves out from them can often just lead to us discriminating against them more. So it's about seeing protecting nature as protecting absolutely everyone because we're all a part of nature. Definitely. And I think we really needed that term and we really needed to address how these areas are connected um, because often there are these these terms in um, this conversation that aren't you know aren't regulated by anything there isn't anything to stipulate what exactly yeah sustainable fashion means or ethical fashion what is that I've been asked to you know sometimes write articles that explain what is sustainable fashion and I'm I've always been like, well, different brands. I don't say know. Different no things, one really yeah. knows because there, yeah, exactly. There's so many things that would go into it. Like vegan fashion, we can say what that is. Um, but to say, okay, this is an ethical label or this is an ethical bag or a garment or whatever. It's so difficult because like you say, there are so many different aspects and different components that go into it. So it's really great that we're sort of addressing the fact that all of these uh, aspects are connected. Um, do you think that it can sometimes feel overwhelming? As that's something that I felt when I was first getting started. And when I wrote about vegan fashion, people would sometimes point out, well, you know, this is vegan, but it's not quite, you know, there's other aspects of it that maybe aren't as ethical. And I remember feeling so... Like there are so many things that I had to think about, so many aspects to keep in mm. mind. Do you think sometimes consumers or people that aren't yet fully 
familiar with this pace can feel overwhelmed with all of the different factors that we have to keep in mind. Absolutely. And I think there are so many things that you have to understand in a, in order to really make the best decisions around what you purchase. Like there's, you know, you can know that people are exploited in the fashion industry, but not know that if a brand says that they're paying fair wages, that's not a legally defined term. And it, can be really actually meaningless for the workers compared to if they're paying a living wage, which is the minimum you need to be paid to be able to, you know, essentially not live in poverty. So there are so many little things like that that you need to be able to know. There are things like knowing that even if the outer material of a shoe is not made of leather, the inner might be made of leather. So it's, it is really complicated and that's why one of the things that we're working on at the moment is for next year, we're going to launch a certification and it was going to be for what we call like the base values of a total ethics fashion system. So where the people, planet and animals are being protected to like a degree that's much higher than what most brands do. And I think that's really important to help people get past all of the many questions that they have about how they can make the best choices. Wow, I think that will be so, so helpful to both people who are trying to shop more mindfully, but also to brands who want uh, to connect with consumers and Mm. display the the work that they do. And I think that's uh, something that will be hugely valuable. So yeah, very interested in seeing more about this. It sounds Like, this is something that's really much, much needed in this space. Yeah, thank you. And I know you've done a lot of work that, um, once again, going back to the wool topic, you released a report on the wool industry a while ago that I found extremely interesting and eye-opening. And I've already been working in this space for a while, so I can imagine just how much information there can be in there for someone who maybe wasn't as aware of these issues. Can you tell us a little bit about that report? Yeah, so Sheer Destruction, the full title is Sheer Destruction, Wool, Biodiversity in the Fashion Industry. And um, it's a partnership between Collective Fashion Justice and the Centre for Biological Diversity, which is a US-based environmental organisation. And it looks really specifically at all of the ways in which the wool industry harms the planet. So through the massive amounts of methane that are released by the industry, the wool scouring process and the often really harmful substances that are involved in it, the amount of land that is required for wool. For example, we have some data that shows that to have a bale of wool as compared to cotton in Australia, where Australia is a really major producer of both of those fibres, you need under 400 but around like 367 times more land to produce that wool bale than cotton so the biodiversity loss from that is huge we look at across the board from start to finish including in you know eventually when sheep go to slaughterhouses not when they're being shorn but if they're being used for sheep skin which is the same industry and the same sheep the pollution that comes from slaughterhouses so we look at every single aspect and then we look at the opportunity for a just transition beyond wool and all of the alternatives that are much better for the planet 
I love that you're um, talking so much about solutions because one problem that I think we were facing uh, back in the day with leather, for example, and that we're now facing with wool is that people are still stuck in a mindset of either it's wool or it's petroleum derived synthetics. And I find that so frustrating because there really needs to be more awareness of plant-based materials, of um, sustainable replacements for these materials. And I feel like we're kind of getting there with leather, with all of the amazing plant leathers we have these days. But I feel that wool is an area where we still need more awareness Mm -hmm. around um, the solutions that are available. Do you agree? Yeah, and I think there also are less alternatives to wool than there are leather, but it's going in the right direction. And there are already some great alternatives, like Tencel has the same thermoregulating and moisture-wicking properties. Hemp and organic and recycled cotton are really good choices for some knitwear. I think the wool industry also very intentionally creates that false dichotomy where we have to choose between wool or fossil fuels because it protects their industry. So I think we have to work against that really heavy marketing as well to get to a point where people understand their options. Oh, absolutely. I feel that that is maybe, you know, a sign of, you know, times changing like we saw uh, with the fur industry once again, putting out all of these campaigns where basically the narrative was that uh, faux furs were plastic based and bad for the planet and that was just a response to you know pretty much every big name designer in the world going fur free so I feel like when we see these ad campaigns and these um, uh, these narratives being created by these industries it's a sign of the fact that actually people are waking up to the damage that these industries do and are interested in moving away from them. Yeah. So, yeah, frustrating as they are, they might be a sign of something. Yeah, and I think also a little plug, a lot of that greenwashing, especially around fur, is something that is talked about in a new documentary called Slay, which we're involved with, which looks at the use of fur, leather, and wool in fashion. So it's something I'd always recommend people to watch. It only came out last month. Oh, absolutely. Yes, it's such um, an interesting documentary. And it's it's so amazing that finally we have something that addresses these issues in such a hard-hitting way. It's, um, yeah, it's a fantastic, fantastic film. I think the whole team has done an amazing job on Slay. Absolutely. Thanks. Um, what about um, your book, How Veganism Can Save Us? Um, that came out recently. Um, how? Uh, tell us about the journey of writing this book and, yeah. Yeah. So How Veganism Can Save Us is a little more broad than my work with Collective Fashion Justice in that it's not just about fashion. It's about really all of the ways in which the animal industrial complex, the way we treat other animals, impacts animals themselves but also people human communities and the planet so it's broken into three sections on planet people and animals and then it ends on a look at ideas around collective liberation and how animal issues are our issues and we really can't you know create a world where everyone is free if we're ignoring the plight of animals so it's something that I think 
anyone who's interested in social justice but who hasn't necessarily yet seen how veganism sits in that space. It's for anyone who wants to learn more about that. So I feel like especially it's something that vegans might like to give to their friends that, you know, are so involved and agree with them on so many things but then miss that one part. Or for people who, you know, know about one aspect of why veganism is so important but maybe not others like it looks at the intersection between feminism and veganism classism and veganism lots of different things um and it took there was a lot of research involved in it and a lot of writing but it's also it's not a super heavy and dense book it's kind of broken up with little kind of explainers and nice design so it wasn't a huge kind of endless body of work that is going to be really hard to get through and it's something I'm really happy to have out there because I feel like it is something where, you know, I get asked questions constantly about what about this, what about this, and now I feel like I can say, oh, well, there's this book (laughs) and you could read that and a lot of your questions will be answered there. Yeah, I do that a lot as well. I refer back to my book as well when people ask me about things. So yeah, I, I think it's, uh, yeah, you've done an amazing job with that as well. I will put the link to the book in the show notes as well so that people know where they can Thank get you. it. Um, what is next for you and for Collective Fashion Justice? You sort of already um, talked about your future plans with this certification, which sounds like a game changer really but is there anything else that's coming up yeah we have um at the end of October we have our report leather's impact on people at the end of November we have leather's impact on the planet and then early in 2023 we have leather's impact on animals and then the final report in that series which is called under their skin is about, again, just transition opportunities and leather alternatives. So that's a really big piece of work that we are focused on at the moment, which we'll use not only to educate the public, but also to share with policymakers and with people working in the sustainability space for different brands that we have recommendations on how they can shift away and beyond leather. So we're working on that. We're also continuing to work on the Fur Free Europe campaign, which for any EU citizens is a campaign where if we can collect one million signatures from European citizens by about March, then we will be able to, the European Commission is basically obliged to act because of the type of petition that it is um, that they approve they're obliged to act on calls to ban not only all fur farming in the EU, but all sales and importation of farmed fur products. So that would be a huge win. So we're working on that as well as continuing to engage with brands and with fashion weeks in general. That would be incredible, Mm. wouldn't it, if you banned all of the import and sales of fur we are well i work at PETA, the animal rights organization Mm. and we are involved in fur free britain with some other animal rights groups because the uk was the first country to ban fur farming in the year 2000 Mm. and it's really when you think about it it's doesn't make any sense at all to continue importing something that you've banned the production of so um it's 
I think it will get there. I think that more and more countries will follow Israel's example and um, take the step to completely ban all the sale and import of fur. And yeah, that will be an amazing day when that mm. happens. And I think hopefully it's quite close. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, let's let's stay hopeful. I will uh, include info on uh, that European Citizens Initiative in the show notes as well and call for people to sign it. Thank you. Well, thank you so, so much, Emma, for com- coming on Catwalk Rebel. It was amazing to have you here. Thank you for having me. Really love what you do. Thank you so, so much uh, for everything you do for the animals, humans, the planet. Um, yeah, looking forward to seeing more from you soon thank you have a good day night (laughs) if you want to learn more about emma's work and all of the amazing inspiring things her organization does then go to collectivefashionjustice.org or visit them on instagram and tiktok at collectivefashionjustice emma herself is also on instagram at hakame that is h-a-k-a-m-m-e And of course, you will find all of these details in the show notes. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, then please leave a review in the podcast app. That is so important for new podcasts to grow and reach more people. Thanks to David Camilli for our music and sound production. I will talk to all of you soon in the next episode. And in the meantime, have a fabulous, rebellious day. Bye, Rebels. Rebels.